Welcome back guys to episode 12 of Scrubbed In Podcast. So today's episode we're going to be discussing finally how our first day, first week and even our first month was as brand new junior doctors working in the UK. We've talked about med school but now it's time to get to the to the meat of it. We're going to be talking mm, our first few days as a junior doctor. So as you may know there is this we all start on a Wednesday and it's called Black Wednesday which is the first week of August and the reason why they call it Black Wednesday is tell them so essentially uh, they've shown statistics I think which show that the death rate goes up because on that day obviously you've got all the brand new fresh doctors doctors on the wards looking after everyone Um, so apparently and I think no 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 I think it's actually um Real statistics. No, I yeah, it does. It. Every day, so if you ever read a newspaper, it's Black Wednesday, death rates goes up. I don't know if it's actually. It just destroys to our it. morale before starting. Yeah, so you're scared. <laughs> uh, funnily enough, before we go into it, one or two of the consultants in my last job, so I'm on obstetrics and gynecology, so we call it obs and gyne. Two of the consultants took off the first day because it was the day juniors start on the ward. Um, did, you want, did you want to be around? They didn't want to be around. They didn't want to take any risks and liabilities. And <laughs> um, in a future episode, we'll talk about specialties, mm. um, but we'll keep things general now. Um, so straight to your point. Yeah. How was your first day as a doctor? I, th- I don't think the viewers know where were you working, what city. Like, start with that first. So to get a good idea. I started in London. Started in London, Bart's Trust, Royal London. So, bro, I was proud because mm. Royal London mm. is where I was born. Yeah. It's like me. So even my mum and everyone, it's like a kid wow, where he was born, circle. returning to the same place where he was born as that a was doctor. Like Simba-like. <laughs> that was like a Simba type um, <laughs> sort of movie. And so I was returning to my own hospital mm. in the local area. Mm. So that's home. That's my home. I work. I live down the road from there. Mm. So I remember obviously that excitement of mm. I'm a doctor. So with the whole excitement, you get up really early. Mm get a good breakfast in um, and then yeah you're off you're off to work and I remember you come onto the ward Mm. and um, so it was a bit complicated so with my job right I started on vascular surgery Mm. right now vascular surgery right the patients that are in that sort of pool Mm. that require any sort of vascular surgery Mm. they're typically very 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 ill They'll have almost every other condition, diabetes, kidney disease, advanced kidney disease. Mm. We'll have lots of heart attacks, gangrenous toes that need to be cut off and things. Mm. I knew that nationally that was the same. So I didn't actually apply for vascular mm. surgery. Wow. I got my first choice of in terms of jobs on paper, mm. which was I was supposed to be in colorectal surgery. Yeah. And then they just drafted me away. And I remember having a little bit of a fiasco, going and sitting down and saying, why have I been moved? I don't accept mm. and I remember they just brought out the T's and C's which basically said um, your job is subject to change wherever we see fit and wherever there's a demand yeah. so anyways I shoved into vascular and I knew I was going to be in for a hell of a ride now very sick patients okay I wanted to ease myself in that wasn't going to happen there is no easing yeah. in, in medicine so I remember I walked onto the wards surgery being surgery and mm. I knew this was the case I just remember someone saying doctor 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 I've walked by because yeah, yeah. it's the first time someone has said, I'm thinking medical students, so people would call me AMS or Amador mm. or whatever. And so I've just walked straight by, and they're like, I, I remember the, um, the nurse saying, 
Doctor, can you not hear me? Are you deaf or something? Hello? <laughs> and she looks back. Now, quick, quick, this patient. What do you mean, quick, this patient? No, no, wait. Let me go call the SHO. Yeah. Um, SHO is wow. one year senior than me. Um, anyways, that was the first moment, mm. right? And it was already panic. Uh, anyway, the patient was okay. The SHO came over. He was all okay. Anyways, I go into the room and I did the whole introductions. Yeah. Hi, my name's Amido. And everyone just looked at me like, oh, you're the fresh faced medical student. They know, innit? Okay, they know straight okay. away that you this know. guy, this guy, we're going to trust him with all of our patients. And um, so, yeah, that was it. So, that was my first day. I was on the wards and I was with the SHO. And we had to do the ward round. And it was just like, what? Like, what do you mean, do the ward round? I was like, what do I do? <laughs> what, what, what do I do? Um, anyways, so yeah, we did the ward round. So on the ward round, essentially I got the laptop, mm. uh, trolley with the computer, logged in and I'd be documenting. Um, and we did the ward round for like 50 patients that day. And I was tired, man, because other people I remember had like 15 patients, some mm. had 20 at tops. And we had like 50 patients, two different wards wow. sometimes, and so many outliers. Mm. I was finished that day. Bro. I was finished. Did you notice, yeah, the first few weeks in as a doctor, you come home and you like you start napping. Like I never used to nap in med school, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But because you're actually working and yeah, because you're really working, yeah. like genuinely working and running around, you feel tired and you come home and you're like, wow, why am I so tired? I've never been this tired. And the one thing I've learned, yeah, the first few weeks mm. in general is going to sleep at ten o'clock is not bad. It's a very good idea. Before you need to. I'd, 10 o'clock, I'll be on my phone, I'll be out, I'll be doing whatever, I can be going to work at, going to sleep at 2 a.m. up. 10 o'clock is like, yeah, I need to sleep, man. Like, I don't want to do, like, I'm tired, I genuinely, like... I remember like, you'd WhatsApp, be, be like, all right, guys, I'm off to bed now. Yeah, It'd we be like 9.30, yeah. like, was a changed man. Yeah, man, <laughs> it was crazy. Um, but no, no, sleep is important, man. Like, like you'd start napping. You, if you were tired and you were on wards, you'd be like... What's going on? You'd be just dazed for the whole day, man. It's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you don't realize how tiring working is. Um, my first day, I'm trying to think. So it's different to you. So obviously, I got Coventry. At the time, I was like, rah, how did I end up in Coventry? The reason why I ended up in Coventry, guys, is because I didn't do really well with my SJT. So that and you of, didn't log your publication properly. Oh, my days. So, so you missed Oreo, the point. I missed there. the point because I missed out one of the number for my publication, which one point is crazy like yeah. people miss out on places due to like 0.4 of a, of a point so i missed out that secondly i didn't do that great in my sjt so luckily my epm ranking was high enough to kind of get to coventry and get the jobs that i wanted but it meant i moved out of london so when i did my applications i wanted to either be in london and if i wasn't in london i wanted to go somewhere in the midlands like coventry birmingham mm-hmm. where i knew people um, and it was kind of familiar terrain for me. So luckily, I got my second choice in terms of deaneries, um, but it was in Coventry, which was a massive hit. <laughs> when I found out the first day, you know when you open your laptop and you're like, yo, I got Coventry. It's, it's South Midlands or South West Midlands. So I thought you meant South London. So I was like, yeah, cool. I called Ams. And he's like, nah, check it again. You're in Midlands. I was like, nah, bro. So I closed my laptop and I went to sleep. This is what I do. If it's a big problem... <laughs> he sleeps it I, off. I closed my laptop and then I go to sleep, yeah? And then... The next day I was like, yeah, I woke up, I saw it, and I was like, I didn't acknowledge it for a week or two. And then I realized, oh, crap, do you know what? I'm actually have to go Coventry. Um, it's like, 
so long story short, I did go Coventry. You have to go Coventry. That's the only difficulty this country is. You don't have much of a say where you go. You can have a choice and pick, but at the end of the day, if you've been given somewhere, you have to go and you do go it. There, yeah. um, in the beginning, it was a bit difficult to adjust. Bear in mind, I grew up and was born in central London. Um, I went to med school in London, um, and I'd say I was probably a bit homesick because um, I'm mm. so used to having people around me. And then I used to live in the hospital accommodation, which was very small. And I was there for two weeks and it just stressed me out. And I remember, I don't know if people followed me at that time. I was on Google and I was like, alternative careers to medicine. I was like, nah. <laughs> he was planning his exit. I was my exit day one. Because <laughs> I thought, do you know what? I'm out here in Coventry. I'm away from my friends and family. Um, I'm in this really small room. There's no one here. Uh, luckily, I ended up staying with two other flatmates that went to med school with me. And, you know, mm. so that was fine. But it's just in the moment, you're like, you know, what did I get myself into? Um so it's like a bittersweet moment for me, whereas for you, it was probably close to home. Whereas for me, I had yeah. this added layer, oh, do you know what, I really miss home. And for me, it was like, yeah, I'm going to move out, I'm going to be independent. But when you're there and you're doing it, it's very different. And mm-hmm. I think that was a bit difficult for me. Um, so my first day, I think the first day is okay. Like, they know you're fresh, they know you're there. So there's there's an element of leniency. Um, generally... London v non-London hospitals so lo- hospitals outside of London depends on which you are so at that time I was at DGH so District General Hospital so it's more to do with the mm-hmm. towns and stuff it wasn't that busy it was fairly busy but not to the extent a the major hospitals Coventry is or the major hospitals in London is so that week was my so I was doing general surgery more so upper GI um, so like gallbladder stomach and all of that mm-hmm. stuff um, my consultant was on post take so for all the non-medics, it's essentially when every single new patient that comes in through A&E that has a surgical issue is under my care or under my consultant's care and it kind of feels <laughs> up to me. adult's care. So post-take, so for us in our hospital is one week of every single admission through A&E's ours. Can you imagine? So I walked into a patient list of 30 people. Bear in mind, I've never done the job and my SHO took a week off, right? So just me, my reg, and the yeah. consultant. So a junior doctor, a middle grade doctor, and a senior consultant. They all do that, don't they? On my first week, all of the regs went on a holiday. Is I was it? like, I don't know. I think they know, and they want us to stay to support us, and man. <laughs> the, we, it's like the guy said. It's like we, we were baptized in fire that week. Yeah, that's what it is. I had on my first day, one of the medics I was with, one of the F ones. Um, she was crying, and I had to console her because it just became overwhelming. Because ward runs, when you have loads of patients, super busy, super fast, mm-hmm. you're rushing to get a list of all the jobs that need to be done for each and every patient. So even if it's one job per patient, and I had 30 patients, that's 30 pieces of things yeah. that need to be done within eight hours or that road, that 95 or 40. Um, you're doing it whether you have to stay back. Yeah, so, you don't get paid over time. Yeah, so regardless, yeah. whatever. And that week, not even a week or two, those two, three weeks was a blur for me. Um mm-hmm. It was a rush because you're learning things and this bleep, you get really excited, you got a bleep and then it doesn't stop ringing and then you realise this piece of machine which is this big, like a portable charger, dictates your life and it's non-stop. Yeah. In essence, a bleep is a little device when nurses need you or whenever anyone needs you, they bleep you and then you answer it and most often it means you have to go do something. But my first day, mm. or let's say my first three days because we started on Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday was the end of the post-take week. It was crazy. It's, it felt like when we're busy, we're busy, mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel like I worked one day. It's like a blur, man. And yeah, like, it just I flashes by as a blur. You know what? Um, I was just thinking, right? 
when you're never taught in med school how, how to, to document do yeah, how exactly. to do all of that and you're never taught how to then when the consultant goes get me a scan and then you what, call up and the radiologist it? goes no nah, we're not doing the scan and you're just still like but my boss said my, my boss said we need the scan and these are things you hear but I remember once to the radiology so in radiology NHS as you all know it's like conserving resources right now and mm. if you need a scan you get a scan but if you're 50-50 you don't know if you need a scan or not or if you have an inkling, it's a certain diagnosis and you need to scan. So you have to go to radiology and it's like pitching. If you're like imagining your business and you're pitching to get investment. So you're literally pitching to a radiologist. So he's a, a doctor, he or she, who authorizes someone to have a CT scan yeah. or MRI scan and you always prepare a pitch. So an example would be, um, this is actually quite nice because I don't think we ever talked about cases. So it would be mm. like, I've got a 68-year-old um, lady who's post-op three days. She had a cholecystectomy so she had a gallbladder removal she's got this sudden onset difficulty in breathing and sharp chest pain I'm worried it's a clot in the lung um, so there's different mm-hmm. things you can do to make your case stand if it is what we call a, P, a pulmonary embolism mm-hmm. um, so I'm preparing I want to get a scan to see if there is a clot in the lungs right it's called a CTPA so imagine I'm a radiologist so I'll say um, I've got a 68 year old lady post-op she's had a cholecystectomy sudden onset shortness of breath I think it's a clot in the lungs can I book a test? You know what he said to me? He said, go back out. In my head, I'm thinking I've got a lady in a pee who's going to deteriorate. He goes, go back out, come back in again, and tell me your name. And once you tell me your name, tell me your rank. It's because we're panicking. Like, yeah. oh my God, someone's going to yeah. die. I need but to get this Tell me your down. rank. And then tell me. And then after that, if I like it, I'll let you know. So all of a sudden, your brain goes meltdown. You're like, what? I'm, I prepared this. I've been practicing it from the <laughs> corridor to here. And radiologist, I don't know whether, but they're always tucked up in some corner of the hospital. So now it's like, good afternoon. My name is Dr. Ryder. I'm one of the F1s. I need to book a scan. And then it just completely threw me. And typically for the medics, you know, like radiologists are infamous for refusing scans. Sometimes when you do book a scan, you feel proud of yourself and you give yourself a pat on the back. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for us in general, um, it's the little jobs that make, like, you know, for like a patient, it's always, you know, do blood tests, book investigation scans, refer to a different specialty for advice mm. or discharge them. As a doctor in this country, or as a junior doctor, your job is basically manage a patient from once they come in, get them well enough to be discharged home, and then you just do the same cycle yeah. again and you do everything between. But I found that I was staying back late a lot of the time a lot of the times yeah i, I came home like, what would happen so have your i mean not now so like in the first yeah. few weeks how long would you say you spent back or what was the longest length of time you stayed i think back? I, I stayed back nearly three hours mm. every day for possibly possibly two weeks mm. uh, i just i was actually i was slow man as well i was slow it's just because the systems are slow you're yeah. spending an and extra five minutes where the pods are where the blood needles are and all of those things mm. it just everything takes that little bit longer when you're yeah. new there mm. i also remember i was also down because so vascular patients have terrible veins mm. to take blood from mm. oh. terrible veins so it's always challenging but coming on I so vascular what does vascular means because i know we've got loads of non-medics and um, um Vascular, as in, so essentially, our specialty dealt with surgery on arteries and veins of the body mm. that would either be blocked off or mm. clotted or whatever. Mm. For example, if they had a clotted artery within the leg and they had gangrenous toes, mm. so we'd amputate the toes. Mm. 
Um, so based on that, or we'd have people who um, were drug users and they'd come in with a big, huge, infected mass in their hand. Mm. But anyways, all of the common feature across that population of patients would be they've, had, they've got very bad veins, very difficult to bleed. Yeah. And my confidence was so low because I couldn't really successfully bleed everyone. Um, and it really made me feel like, like I was really crap at this basic skill. Which is like the day-to-day bread and butter of a junior doctor. Taking bloods and putting a cannula in. Um, I had some good support though. I had a really good SHO. Mm. Um, Bono, if you're watching, thank you, man. Um, but it was an awesome SHO that was just always... He had my back. That's important. He had my back. So he knew I was fresh. He mm. knew I was there. Um, he had my back from day one. Mm. From day one, he had my back. Saying that, really like how were the nurses and the... Like the rest of your team, like how were they supportive or did they leave you to your own means? Because I know um, you hear these stories where like mm. the SHOs, you can't get hold of them or you can't get hold of senior clinicians and you kind of left there. Um, how was it for you? Because clearly yeah. you probably had a lot of support and it goes a long way. You know what? Without, we, we can't sugarcoat it. The mm. truth is it varies mm. depending on where you are and who the person is. And it doesn't matter which hospital it is. Yeah, of course. It depends. So my SHO was mm. super supportive, mm. but I felt at the time some of my regs weren't. Mm. Right? So it depends. It all varied person to person. Mm. So some days I would be super supportive and be really happy. Others I would feel like, oh, Got nothing done mm. um, so it would vary and it's like that across the country it varies from person to person mm. um, and then with the nurses again it varies from individual to, there's individuals who have zero skills mm. and they're able to do obs and those sort of skills but cannot cannulate cannot mm. do sort of some other the more advanced nursing skills mm. I'd say uh, but I've come across some brilliant nurses right mm. Um, and we can bring them onto the show as well. And for example, deteriorating patients, they would have done a full A to E assessment. They tell me things like, I've put a cannula in for you, doctor. Um, you yeah. tell me what you'd like now. I've started some oxygen already. I've stabilized them. This, their oxygen levels are um, picking up again. Mm. What more do you want me to do? Yeah. That's brilliant. It, it reminds me brilliant. of like, um, like some nurses were amazing. And I think nurses probably see junior doctors or fresh doctors more because they're there in the wards they work mm-hmm. super hard it's like as doctors you go and you make a management plan and you prescribe this and that and when really and truly it's the nurses that go mm-hmm. and feed them clean them or even HCAs and give them the medications and measure the obs on a regular basis it's we just go and do it and yeah, move on exactly. right um, and everyone's got their roles and the nurses are really good but it reminded me of my first on call um, with medicine it's like you're a medical student one day and the next day you're a doctor and that's it you expect to act and function as a doctor and it goes a certain way of like your F1 will get it but as any medic because you're so used to performing and doing really well regardless you want to do well you want to do and the first on call so in general surgery in our hospital the the junior doctor or the junior F1 covers all the surgical patients so imagine I have my 30 plus the other 10 15 20 and it can easily rack up Um, and on calls the way I like to think of it is, it's like it's either really busy, super busy, and you won't even have a time to go to the toilet. You won't even have time to like take a breather. And some days it's a bit chilling. Um, it's not too bad, but most often it's busy. It's, yeah. um, and I remember it was my first on call, and you realize that you don't have any other F one to rely on because you're the yeah. only F one in the hospital covering surgery. And the first time was fine, you know, just a cannula here and there. You do it. 
Then at the same time, and in medicine, it always happens. I had two deteriorating patients, yeah. and you get a call and saying, "Doctor, I need you to come and review a patient." And it doesn't matter if you've been a doctor a year, for a day or ten years, you are the doctor. And in that moment in time, that nurse needs you because those are patients deteriorating. Yeah. I had till today, man, two patients in two opposite ends of the the hospital, or like two opposite ends of the mm-hmm. corridor, deteriorating stats. And it's like, doctor, I need you to reverse this patient. The voice post-op, obviously, sats dropping to 70%. She's on 15 litres oxygen. She's had, you know, anti-blood thinners, anti-coagulants, whatever it is you want to call it. Um, but two at the same time, yeah? And so yeah. now, I've never managed this before. It's my first time. If it was one patient, it's okay. You can get there, yeah. gather your thoughts. But to do two, and I remember which was bad, I was running back and forth between the two. So it would be like, you're taught in like medicine to do an AC, so airways, the breathing, the circulation, and examining. But I was in airway one, running to another one, and back and forth, and I remember the nurse, like, sometimes you feel like you're on the verge of tears, you're yeah. banging your head against the wall, and, and you're like, what do I do? And you don't even know what to do. Yeah. And I remember this nurse, she was super sweet, super nice, um, and she's still working at the hospital, for credit to you. Mm. She's like, okay, normally, in this situation, the doctor does this, does this, they do this and this and she the main thing she taught me was at what moment in time I should escalate to a senior doctor. So essentially my reg or my SHO the consultant and she's like, before you do that, make sure you do this. So it basically make sure they're on fifteen liters of oxygen, make sure they've got a blood, you know, blood's done to measure if you know if they're acutely unwell, if what you call sepsis, which is you can hear about in the mm. news and whatnot, um, pain relief, whatever. Um, and she kind of because we get taught how to do in medical school. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In essence, it was basically, she's post-op, she had really bad pain that wasn't controlled and she started to get respiratory distress. She was hyperventilating because she was in super pain and that kind of affected her mm-hmm. and she wasn't on enough oxygen. It was something really simple. Um, so we're taught how to manage it, but it's real life and no matter what medical teaches, is very yep. good in terms of training. This is truly a job you learn under there. And she calmed me down and on calls, the first few are awful because you don't know what you're doing. You're still learning things and it's very different from your day job. Um, and in essence, on call is basically... How would I describe on calls? So on call, you're essentially... You're the doctor at the end of a telephone for almost every patient in that department. Yeah. So all of the nurses who are looking after their patients overnight, if anything goes wrong, you're the doctor. Yeah. So like if, they should be called. So if something's wrong or they need yeah. something... You're, you're basically doctor. the doctor, so yeah, they call you. So the doctor. And most often it's to do when patients are deteriorating all of a sudden, mm. and then you speak, you go and manage them and you sort it out. So that was my first on call. It was awful. And then over time, you get a bit better, you, you understand what you're doing. But mm. even till now, some on calls are just bad, and it's just non stop. And it's, although it's very rewarding, mm. it's very stressful, it's draining. But it's probably the time when you learn the best medicine. How then, are your uncles? Again, almost identical. I think everyone goes through that same sort of um, experience. When, you're, when you've got loads of deteriorating patients, how do you prioritise? Your, your mind's a mess because you're thinking, okay, for that person, I need to do that, I need to do that, but who will die sooner? Yeah. And you just, I think you just need to have a level-headed mind and some support, whether it's from a nurse, another doctor, whoever, someone to just organize the thought process mm. and just to do one by one by one. You can only be at one place at a time. Yeah. You can't be in two places at a time. Um, again, my on-call, 
Um, so the, my first set of on-call, so we, the way it worked at the Royal London would be we covered certain floors. Mm. So we'd either cover a trauma floor, mm. uh, one of the surgical floors, mm. or a large sort of outlier surgical mm. wall, um, floor. And depending on which level you were, the stress would be different. And, be, and it'd be because the nursing levels were different. For example, mm. on the trauma um, wards, basically, they were really advanced. Mm. So they were really sort of... They wouldn't really reach even a deteriorating stage, okay. right? They would preemptively sort of with the consultant because the consultant would be there before the day shift mm. finishes. So he'll wrap everything up, check everything was okay, and they had lower rates of deteriorating patients. <laughs> so that was the most sort of easiest, relatively one I would say. Um, but again, when I was on call, it was stressful. Again, you got people again septic, mm. infection ravaging through them. Um, on the cusp of death so you have to sort them out then you've got another person who can't breathe anymore mm. another person with chest pain another person coughing up blood mm. and it just it's just one think, after the other and I remember speaking other. to a couple of the F1s that started now mm. obviously haven't done a year it's like the on-calls themselves if each of those patients presented to you if a nurse called you let's say an on-call is four hours and you had four different cases they're mm. more or less not easy but you can manage them to a certain degree yeah. the difficulty is when all four of those patients deteriorate at the same time and it's you yeah there. and you're dealing with it and mm. by the time you finish one someone else has really gotten unwell and by the time you sort that person out it's a, it's yeah. a cycle and you, you're always kind of chasing your tail but never getting ahead of it exactly and I think some piece of advice is basically don't worry too much about the on calls the main thing is I would say is there are senior doctors that are there to help you and make sure and I had this issue where you think you're superman and you can go around helping everyone and fixing everyone we are still new we haven't seen enough mm-hmm. cases to kind of think and a lot of cases you realize aren't textbook cases exactly you don't see They're these not. widespread mm-hmm. ST waves you know the silence MIs or this patient who looks really well um, you can very easily fall into danger very quickly so know there is senior support and escalate regardless when you need yeah. it um, ask for help that's what it is essentially ask for and I think you can ask for help from anyone okay yeah. whether it's a senior nurse one of the junior nurses you can ask help from one of the advanced practitioners um, call the consultant if yeah. you absolutely have to call the regs call mm. the SHOs um, I remember on my first day I had an issue and I called because my patient had a um a kidney issue mm. normally you would call the kidney the renal SHO mm. or the reg mm. I accidentally called the consultant straight away and the consultant knew I was new so she was like oh, you're, you're an F1 and you started today mm. okay fine word of advice you usually go through some of the juniors before you reach me but it's okay I'll help you and she gave me good advice over the phone mm. um, but that's what it is ask you should if you ask for help I don't think anyone will really say to you mm. I'm not helping you they will they will help you yeah no one's gonna say um, no at the end of the day we're all in the healthcare field mm. and we're all there to help our patients and want them to feel better mm-hmm. um, and regardless what role you play be it a nurse be it a pharmacist so many times I've, I was confused with doses and I was like pharmacists exactly. help me nurses ward clerks we all have the same goal which is mm. very good in the healthcare industry um Exactly. So you know what your end goal is and you can work towards that. And the number one best piece of advice that I was given before walking in on my first day as a doctor, mm. and I still would advise it to everyone, is you have to be friendly and yeah. make friends with everyone. With everyone. What you find is that 
when you're just a nice person to everyone, to the nurses, to the porters, to the cleaners, to the HCAs, you start to work for each other. Mm. Other people don't like you. People are obstructive. And what you'll find is, for example, you need a chest x-ray immediately. The radiographer has approved it. But you're, you're also friends with the porter. The porters do your jobs mm. quickly. Yeah. Um, so yeah. what you find is that being a friendly face, approachable, someone who's helpful, mm. it... It's a human, it's a human innate thing that you're more likely to work for someone because you like them. Yeah, it's naturally. And it's natural. Yeah. And there's no reason for you to be rude to anyone and it does go the extra bit when you're needing help. If you're nice and friendly with people, it goes, it's the sad reality of it all, but it does mm-hmm. help. Um, so we've kind of talked about the first few days, first week or so, our own calls, um, which were awful. Sometimes even now <laughs> it's awful. Um, there are good moments and I think yeah. we can talk about different aspects but how was it you know one day being a medical student and then all of a sudden being a doctor how was that because that transition for me was mad the tra- transition it was overwhelming man like I was on the on the brink of tears someday because mm. I'd be coming home late I'd, like just doing all of these jobs looking after so many sick people mm. um, you, you have that is it imposter syndrome? Yeah. Is it imposter syndrome where you're like, you feel like you're doing I, something you're not really Am I really a doctor? Yeah, I had I had imposter syndrome. So I was like, and I remember going to my wife and saying, mm. oh, I don't feel like I'm, I'm an actual real doctor. Mm. I don't feel like I've got the skills to can't even cannulate these vascular patients. Mm. Um, and she was very supportive as well. Um, but yeah, I remember feeling overwhelmed. I remember feeling like I'm, I'm an imposter. I'm not really a doctor. Mm. Um, but again, it's, it's one of those things we've experienced with time, mm. you get there. So yeah, on my first few days, I have to admit, it was absolute hell. Yeah. I didn't know where the departments were, I didn't know where things were, I didn't know how to book things. Did you I think you are getting lost? I just go around in circles. <laughs> That's what I mean. And imagine like my consultant, so medical school will teach you very well about your CT heads, your CT chest, abdo, pelvis. CT angios yeah. now those things are like you, you didn't really learn a lot about them CT angios and all of those things and why you need them explaining it to the radiologist about what you're planning to mm. do I struggled a lot with that um, so the transition points I think in general in transition points I do struggle so from um, yeah you mentioned earlier yeah from yeah. preclinical to clinical from and then from clinical to F one, I found that li- I found a little bit of uh, that I struggled a little bit, mm. um, but I think with time you pick up pace, mm. um, and with good mentors, with yeah. good mentors, with good teachers, with good consultants, um, those guys really pick you up, give you the confidence, and mm. sort of that imposter syndrome begins to fade away. Mm. I had Im- imposter syndrome, I'd say, for a good for a good while, for a yeah. good while. For me, yeah. The main thing was, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know if you guys... I'm sure we mentioned it. It's like, in med school, I used to wake up. If I didn't feel like going in, I didn't go in. Yeah. And um, you wouldn't tell me. So I'd turn up. So I'd make arms away and then I wouldn't just rock up. Or if I had to do something, I'd leave early. But now I realise, yeah. Not now. I think at that time. It's, you finally have responsibilities. You are expected to be there. You're expected to do everything and you don't have the luxury like you did as a student where people are thinking how's this a revelation yeah no, no but yes remember as medics or medical students you're a student for so long you don't yeah. really understand the full extent of what it work 
regardless of being a doctor is vocational and it's mm. like like I'm a doctor and you kind of forget that it's a job it is a job still at the end of the day mm. and you expect it to be there you're paid for a time as exactly. well do you know what yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. Um, so it hit me like yo I need to be in work every single day really early prepping the notes and I can't leave like you know them ones if I'm tired I have to like get through the day then go home and sleep it's not them ones I can go home for a nap <laughs> I can go home and do this I can see my mates it's you have to go to bed early as well. Yeah, and that, and you have to, I've never like, but then you're like, yo, I need to go sleep because I need to get minimum eight hours and when you're in surgery, you start super early mm-hmm. and then you start even more earlier because you're, oh, when you're prepping the notes. Um, and my, and it's important, like my regimen, my consortium were very good. They worked me hard, but they taught me very good. Mm-hmm. Like they taught me, like they were super smart, so they taught me a lot of like clinical medicine, but they taught me documentation how things were done they disciplined me mm. and like my consultant would like things done in a certain way certain things documented and you know he's a type of guy that would say you know what's the potassium on this person what's the fluid intake outtake urine output and these are things that I saw other ones not really care about but for me even till now I document things in a certain way that he taught me and he was very particular mm. and at the time you're thinking oh he's got it so lucky or he's doing it in such a way why am I writing twice as much as them and then you learn and you pick up good things and um, so it pays to be with a very good consultant a very good reg or because you learn the good and you carry it forward and especially in and I remember he said to me the first few months of F1 are very crucial because mm. that's where you form your habits and you want to form good habits yeah, yeah and you carry that moving forward because I could have easily not recorded the, the basic observations, not recorded the blood test from yesterday, not recorded the urine output or whatever it was, mm-hmm. and basically continue that. And once you form a habit, it's very difficult, difficult to change it. Yep. Um, and even now on Obzingani, I may not necessarily need the urine output, I may not necessarily need fluid intake, outtake, chalks or whatnot, but it's a good habit to have it and it's something I hope to continue for the rest of medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the transition from medical student to an F1, is you start getting paid, which is good. Um, <laughs> um, it's good because then you have like a lump sum and because you're so busy the first few months yeah. you just work for the day and you see like this lump sum at the end of your month at the back and the beauty about medicine is sometimes I you know how you feel like imposter sometimes I felt I was like I didn't deserve the money I made because it mm-hmm. didn't feel like working you know for people that like that work in retail like when I was working in retail I used to watch the clock I used to be like okay every hour I'm earning you're so right I'm, you're right um, like you know, this day I'll get 50 quid or whatever it was. But in medicine, it's just a whole blur. And then sometimes you think about, it, you know, it's a job. But I think that's the beauty of it. It doesn't feel like you're working. It feels like being a doctor was normal. It was natural for me to it do this. It was natural. Day. It was you so I don't see it as a yeah. job. I see it as being a doctor was normal. I was born for this. Do you know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know if it makes sense when I'm saying it. And then at the end of the month, you get money. I think as you get older and your priorities change, your responsibilities are a bit more conscious. But initially, the first. As yeah, no, even, now, even now though it doesn't feel now, like a job you're not watching you're not, you're not thinking mm. oh I've got two hours to lunch or two hours to go work or do you know what I mean it's yeah. like um, a blur and I'll tell you what it is and it's because it's, it's it's intellectually really stimulating you're really using your skills yeah. and it takes you away from looking at the clock and just waiting and biding your time because you're busy doing mm. something you're busy trying to figure out puzzles yeah. and so solving those things sometimes you do watch you're like oh, I can't wait to go home because yeah, obviously yeah. <laughs> I read the book basically they were saying in terms of a career mm. the best career needs to have three things right so it's autonomy so essentially 
you being able to make decisions by yourself, you mm. not having to do something in terms of rule books and like you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this, and there's no room for improvement, there's no room for making your own decision. So being a doctor gives you autonomy. You get to manage patients to a certain degree by yourself, which gets better and better as you get more mm. senior. You need to have stimulation from your job. So it mentally stimulates you, which you get in medicine mm-hmm. because you're problem solving critical analysis it's there from day one it's there from medical school and the third one is financial rewards and gains although um, financially you do earn more than the average person in the country and you may not earn as much as a banker or a lawyer you do earn enough so you're not worried about money um, and this is a whole debate and we can talk about it is I personally feel that the amount of work you put in or the level of work you're doing isn't proportional or relative to the amount of money you earn but at the same time I am conscious and aware that the money you do earn is more than the average and it is a good mm-hmm. income um, so it depends on how you see it. if you're someone that wants to be rewarded for the work you do then maybe you fall short but if you're someone that regardless of work you do it's about a monetary sum then it is a good paying job to a certain degree so those are the three things mm-hmm. it doesn't need to be medicine there's so many other jobs that have it so autonomy being able to make your own decisions mm-hmm having stimulation so being mentally stimulated so not doing the same thing repetitive work and thirdly financial rewards and gains and those are the three things if you have it very few jobs in the world have it medicine hits two mm-hmm. maybe three of those um, it's what makes you content in terms of career point of view which is why although you hear doctors moving leaving countries a lot of them stick it out because you can have two months of crappy days but there'll be that one day that one hour that one patient that is like yo do you know what it's amazing and you continue doing it so it medicine has that's this what grasp it is. on it's, you it's that. that's what it is though isn't it it's that one case you can have lots of really stressful cases but mm. that one case where the patient is stabilized and you're proud because you've you've stabilized them yeah. or they survive and walk out of hospital but before they walk out they give you a card or some chocolate they give you a hug or, thank or you even or something. they say thank you doctor you've saved my life or mm. i'm so grateful mm. to you the satisfaction from that is money can't buy Mm. money cannot buy a thank you remember that mm. money cannot buy that thank mm. you so that is what keeps you going and mm. I and I and I used to explain to people like being on call is being like a boxer it's like being punched in the face repeatedly for 12 hours for 12 <laughs> runs but like a boxer you fall down and you get back up and you're happy to go into work the next day to get punched up again so being yeah, on call exactly. is basically <laughs> being punched in the face repeatedly multiple times but you go home, you recover, and you're ready for the next bout, next ring, next match, whatever. One day, not one day, I am going to get Anthony Joshua on here as a guest. I'm saying it yeah, now. No, we will get we'll Anthony get Joshua. We're going to get Anthony Joshua here as a guest, and we can compare being a doctor being a boxer. <laughs> but wouldn't you agree? It's like you're getting punched up. It is. It and you get knocked down. But for some weird reason, and it is a weird reason, you're happy to do it all you're over again. You're happy to do it again, and again, and again, and again. And again. Um, That's what it is. So... It'll be interesting when we get guests on other medics and other doctors from different specialties to see how they take it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think that kind of covers the first month or the first few weeks of being that's, on call. Yeah, that's the first few doctors. weeks. Is there sure. anything you want to add before we kind of wrap um, it up? No, not at all, really. Um, there's not much to say, really, apart from anyone that's, I guess... Um, so we give three pieces of advice we haven't done. What three tips would you give for all the new F1s that are starting? I know this video is a bit early, but we can... I'll repost it I guess at a later time I would say don't worry if you're slow at first don't mm. worry if you're slow getting out don't worry if you're slow getting the jobs done when you're new into the system 
it's natural for you to be that take that extra minute mm. and you'll eventually pick up pace and you'll eventually join the rest of the um, rest of the guys who are climbing the ladder mm. um, number two um, you do have support around you you do you just have to reach out you have to ask you have to be willing to ask um, it takes humility mm. do you know that mm. to ask. being a doctor right sometimes you can become overwhelmed and become a little bit arrogant and have some pride in you mm. right because you're so qualified you've got all this knowledge you're mm. you're a healer and all sorts of mm. things right it takes real humility to say i don't know i need, I need help mm. right and I, I need to make a call and i'm it takes humility to ask for example a nurse a hca mm. what do you think mm. right or what should i do mm. that takes humility have that humility um and the next thing is just be nice to everyone be nice to everyone when you're an F2, be nice to everyone. When you're a reg, when you're a CT, when you're a consultant, just be nice because it just makes the job so much more nicer. I loved mm. uh, some of my jobs mm. purely because the team that I was in was just a really happy, cooperative team. Mm. That's it. From doctors to nurses to everyone. Mm. And I loved it. Mm. Um, that's it. What about you? Um I agree with all three of those 100%. Um, a few more I would add is it's a steep learning curve. You yeah. will learn a lot from day one of medicine to the day you retire, to be fair. Yeah, true. Because no two cases will be the same. You'll be seeing so many different patients, so many different presentations of the same cases. Someone may be having an asthma attack, but they may have been having it in two different ways. Um, mm. Like I said, it's very easy to get overwhelmed. So I would say there's no harm in taking a minute taking a step back catching your breath clearing your head you know this whole thing about mindfulness mm-hmm. um, you know that's reevaluating the situation kind of making a list or whatever it is you do and kind of tackling the problem head on from there but take a break and look mm-hmm. after yourself as an F1 it's very easy to kind of skip lunch skip dinner skip going to the toilet you know skip loads of these things um, look after yourself because if you don't look after yourself you can't look after your patients exactly um, and I know it's busy and you'll learn that and there's always time for there food is time. to go to the there toilet is time. there's if always time, time there is time there's always time um, and you do have support so ask for it um, and obviously I don't want to repeat what you said um, the final thing I'll say is enjoy the process and I always say about this enjoy being an F1 because you will only be an F1 once in your life you'll only be an SHO once in your life enjoy the process embrace it and you know there will be days that are hard there will be days when you're kicking yourself in the head there will be days mm-hmm. when you're on the verge of tears and there will be days where like you don't feel like going into work but stick it out go through it embrace the journey and then you look back even as I said although we've been docs for like a year you look back mm-hmm. and be like oh do you know what I learned so much I, learned I remember so much, doing yeah. this and you know look after yourself there's help available and enjoy it you've worked so hard for many years and it's not just med school you worked hard during your GCSEs mm-hmm. your A-levels you finally got into med school you graduated um, and you're a doctor and you deserve it um, enjoy it and you know whoever watches this episode we wish you the best of luck yeah uh, and you're a doctor so go out and save some lives that's about it really yeah. simple as save simple lives as. go <laughs> and save some lives um, but thank you once again for listening to this episode um, of our podcast kind of enjoyed talking about it definitely um, definitely next week we'll talk about more specifically what jobs we did and what it kind of entailed mm. um, and the difference in doing the same job or the same specialty 
in a London hospital and a non-London hospital. And you know, we can talk about some cases we saw. We'll take it from there. But in the meantime, make sure you like, make sure you comment, make sure you subscribe. There's a button there. Um, tell your friends and family about it. We look forward and we'll see you next week.